Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on today's special episode, A Fan of History. Yes, it is a very special episode. That wasn't me or Dan reading that, right? We have a very mm-hmm. special guest. But maybe a lot of you guys recognize the voice of Ryan Stitt. He's a famous podcaster. He has the History of Ancient Greece podcast. So welcome, Ryan, and thanks for uh, joining us today. We're actually doing this, right? Yes, yes, finally. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. And Ryan's a good guy. He's always been, ever since I got involved, I, Dan told me, um, keep in touch with Ryan. He's a He's a great podcaster, and he's always, you know, trying to help other podcasters out. So we appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I I, I came across the uh, uh, the podcast a couple years a couple years ago. Um, you guys are moving pretty slow, so you haven't. <laughs> you're still yeah. in the Iron Age. <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, we're going to make it much past because so we because we come back from 1000 BC, decade yeah. at a time. I jumped in at the 680s, and we usually get like four episodes out of each decade. So. I think I came across it when I think it was in like the late 800s, um, okay. a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean, you're not moving quite as slow as the people who actually lived it are moving it. But all right, um. there you go. Yeah, we're doing better than that. And it's yeah. as we get closer, you know, um, as we get, I guess, to the closer to the present, it gets harder to more research. There's more stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't that much stuff. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, the 800s and things like that. But once you start hitting. These like, mm-hmm. damn figures, we probably can't make it past 500 BC because there'd be so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um the iron as you get closer closer to the classical period uh, slash the Achaemenid Persian period. Um, it's um for the Near East. Uh, it, there's definitely a lot more. I mean, most yeah. of most of what you guys do. It, there's a whole. There's uh, as 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 you are well aware. There's only bits and pieces that you can really talk about for the ancient Greeks um in the archaic period. But, right. uh, like, I mean, there's some stuff that you can extrapolate and kind of pull a narrative about, but a lot of it is just, like, you know, conjecture, archaeological material, right. like, later sources. Um, it's it's much, much harder to put together, say, 
uh, a whole list of narrative um, for the archaic period. Whereas on the Near Eastern side, there's it's a little bit easier. So I, I'm assuming in, in the next hundred century or so, you guys are going to be pretty heavily uh, Assyrian, um, Persian, Near Eastern, with a little bit of Egyptian. Correct. A lot of Assyrian in. right now. Yeah. We're right in it before mm-hmm. no spoilers, but we're getting close to something. Mm-hmm. We're next, our, our next one will be the 640s. So we're getting there, and we do get in Greece. We get the we get the um, Olympics every every four years. So we have records of that. So that's good. We have some fun mm-hmm. stories on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Olympics. in the 40s, the pancreatic, I can't pronounce bad, bad but the pancreatic. Pancreation. Yes, that will be invented. Or, you know, I'm not sure how. I always struggle with turning that into an adjective. It's the pancreatiasts or the pan, pancreatiatic uh, ah. sports or something. It's Yeah, it's always a struggle to turn it into an adjective, if I'm even making it right. But it's basically, I'm sure you t- discussed this, but it's basically the uh, the earliest version of MMA. <laughs> Correct, right. Boxing yeah. wasn't enough that they had to fight until just about death. Now they have to be able to poke in the eyes and mm-hmm. wrestle and everything else. So. Yeah, hand-to-hand yep, combat yeah. when the uh, when the phalanx breaks down. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good segue because, um, you know, going decade by decade, sometimes we miss the big the big things in history. You know, the big, what's the word I'm looking for? The big sweep of history type of things. Certain The topics. themes. The yeah. themes, yes. Yeah. You know, when you're going, so topic of our episode today is um the relationship with the greeks and the near east prior to the persian invasions mm-hmm. like in my school days i remember being told or given the impression at least that the persians just found out about the greeks after the ionian re- revolts and then the mainland greeks you know had aided them and then the per- persians sort of said well who are these guys let's go teach them a lesson uh, yeah i mean i learned some i, I learned some pretty odd things to uh growing up a lot of it was like this whole greek miracle thing where the greek civilization came out of nowhere where in fact there was so much continuity continuity between the uh, the near east and the greeks and both cultures kind of uh, pu- uh pushed off of each other to uh and influenced the other culture during the iron age i mean shoot the, it was the phoenicians and the greeks i'm sure you've talked about that um and then the trade through trade uh, even as far back as the Mycenaean period, they they had the connections with the Near East. So there's um, there there's been a connection there. Um, the Greek, Greek soldiers fought as mercenaries in pretty much every major battle in Near Eastern history. Um, you can yeah. as- either even even there they may be mentioned, or you can kind of just assume that they were there. Um, just I mean, you don't want to assume, but you can kind of speculate that that's the case. And and in some cases, they were even outright mentioned we have even greek sources mentioning that they were so like you know they're 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 involved so there's no way like that famous story later on when the when the spartans and the athenian ambassadors go to the persian uh i think it's i think it's uh darius um yeah darius uh and they're like who are these people it you know you can take that with a grain of salt because they obviously would have known who these people were (laughs) who said who were these people the persians or the greeks the Persians. They're oh, like, they were saying, oh, all right. Like, this yes. is such a yeah. These who were these people? Like they would have right. known who they were. I mean, obviously, the Greeks at that point were like small potatoes, to use that uh, analogy um, uh, or idiom, um, compared to a lot of the civilizations that were in the Persian Empire. But they would have known who they were. <laughs> sure, that's the that's the that's the point. And there's not a lot of um, we don't have a lot of documentation on it, but there's mm-hmm. little nuggets here and there, and then there's archaeology. We found that 
I did some research on it. It wasn't as, I mean, Cambridge Ancient History has a whole chapter on it, but I don't know. I find Cambridge Ancient History hard to follow. I have to read the chapters like four times until I can figure out what they're trying to say. Then you got to dig into the stuff. Very academic. (laughs) Yeah, it just seems like they really know it. They say like they they make leaps of assumption. There's, you know, like Mm -hmm. all these things. You're like, wait, that was interesting. What was about that? And then I have to go look it up. It's been a while. I don't know if I've ever read those. You did send some links. I looked at a few, but I'm I'm not familiar with uh, their work on this particular subject. I've read a lot of the like the Oxford handbooks, and they are definitely not. I mean, they're great, but they're they're um uh definitely not accessible in terms of very easy for people who are coming to the topic for the first time. Yes, that's what we need podcasters like you and me <laughs> so that we could break it down for the for the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. For so sure. I kind of broke this down like in the in the chronologically. I guess that's because I'm used to it. You know, like where it's, I started mm-hmm. off. The, I mean, the Mycenaean Greeks. We know they are part of a of an interconnected world. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of documentation, but there's this one little story about this where we think that the Hittites called Greece Ahiawa. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about that a little bit. My uh, man, this was so long ago. I guess 2016 when I was back in the Bronze Age uh, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> I've been doing this for four and a half years now. Right. Um, uh, I think it was episode seven, six we'll or seven. Be back there, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, there, it, we'll go into this caveat real quick. There is very little in ancient history that you can say is a fact. A lot of it is conjecture and speculation based on circumstantial evidence. And one of them, and, and everybody has different theories. So you, uh, when you come across a topic, th- that also makes it it makes it difficult, but it also makes it fascinating. At least in my opinion, uh, you could you can you'll read so many different theories about something. So like Ahiawa, uh, one scholar may th- see a connection there, one scholar may not. Pretty convinced. I, I I'm pretty convinced that there is, and mm-hmm. I've, I've I've read Eric Klein's 1177 book. Uh, I know mm-hmm. there are other people who disagree with him. Um, but yeah, it's, so you don't take it completely as fact. Um, I just, uh, usually I will in my podcast episodes, I'll, I'll give both, I'll give a dissenting opinions and approving yeah. opinions and I'll kind of just be like, uh, I, I think it might be the former or the latter and then move on. Right. Yeah. No, at least I do that now. Way back. Though, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? I said, at least I do that now. Oh, right. <laughs> Early on in the podcast, I was pretty much just like kind of ch- picking and choosing what I thought was appropriate and just yeah. going with it. Now I'm a little bit more like into the both sides uh, of the, the story analysis thing. and talking about and digging deeper. As long as you don't get into the these people think there was an Atlantis and all that. And then that's, <laughs> everybody knows that's what drives me crazy, that kind of stuff. I mentioned that briefly when it came to Crete, um, how the earthquake or I'm sorry, the uh, volcano in Santorini, one of the theories is that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. May have led to the story of Atlantis, but pretty much most of Atlantis is just an allegory that you see in Plato. Um, yeah. And you sh- it shouldn't be taken seriously. No. But yeah. No. I know. I, I it's actually, just, just used as like a tourist guide for when you go to like Santorini or Crete. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, I did go, and then this... you say you get to say you were at the Lost Island of Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. and buy some merchandise. And buy some merchandise, and go yeah. check out the volcano and all the um, mm-hmm. litter in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, you could swim out and see the volcano. When I was there, it was still smoking. <laughs> yeah, it's still active. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool though. So yeah, so this Ahiawa story is. You know, kind of like maybe it's funny because because then they're talking about um, the colony of Miletus, right? And then that that's a colony that's, that's always caused getting in trouble. So there's always some kind of problem with Miletus. So mm-hmm. it seems like Miletus kind of in the um, Hittite record, I believe, was like Milawanda, if I'm okay, remembering yeah. that correctly. Could be. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. My my Hittite is not that great. <laughs> really? Come on, we expect better. <laughs> Yeah, so that they, you know, they, 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 and then they, they really think that though, you know, a lot of scholars do think that the Greeks and the Mycenaeans were part of the whole interconnected world, you know, as far as like the kings that were in contact with each other, calling each other brother, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was probably well, a more united Greece, I would think at the time, right? Uh, well, not, not united, uh, not united like politically, um, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a, 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 a um, uh, there was definitely unity in like a cultural unity. Um, you yeah. see similar art, similar uh, trade goods in most cities. Like they, they kind of were shaped around um, with a crop, with uh, the citadels and stuff. They kind of there was a uh, unity in that sense, but it, what they yeah. weren't like politically united. But you don't it, think they had a like king that. like that was able to? I mean, they had maybe yeah. controlled more area than than you know later on. Yeah, there, there was no like. A king who controlled the entire area. No. Yeah. Uh, Greece wouldn't be fully united until Macedon came. And that lasted. Well, no, they weren't even fully united then. Um, until <laughs> they wouldn't be relatively united until Macedon. Yeah. And there was, I guess because even, cause even when Macedon like, was there, there were still holdouts <laughs> for a yeah, while. Right, right, right. There's still the Spartans and the the Peloponnese who kind of just were left to their own devices. But yeah, that's a lot. And then these were different Greeks, right? Those Mycenaean Greeks were kind of different than the later Greeks. Is that correct? It depends who you talk to. Uh, it, this is a tricky question to answer. Like, um, like it depends on what sources you look at. Um, they're on the periphery. The Mycenaeans themselves, I mean, they 
claimed descent from the Argives and Heracles. Demosthenes tried to proclaim them as another because um, they didn't they didn't have a polis. They were different for all intents and purposes. They were part of the Greek world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't like the Greek in, world in sense like like Thessaly and Macedon weren't quite what you think of like a city state polis type of greek but i mean they spoke greek they spoke a form of greek they had similar mm-hmm. religion and customs it was slightly different but for for all intents and purposes um they were part of the greek world just on the periphery and the whole world right so they're yeah. i mean they were trading i think a lot with um the cretans are obviously have been trading with egypt for a long time mm-hmm. the, the melons uh had uh believe as far back as the middle kingdom it might have been earlier but I, I definitely know as early as the middle kingdom they um the minoans had penetrated the uh the delta and traded with the uh uh the egyptians right middle kingdom being like 1800 so we're talking about the second millennium bc that's a long time ago mm-hmm. so that 18, were... maybe it's 2000 maybe 2000 bc yeah probably BC. way back there yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I might have my dates on the Middle Kingdom wrong, but yeah. <laughs> you, get a, you get a pass on the weird faraway dates. Mm-hmm. But there was this really cool. I was When I was doing the research, I found this about this shipwreck in, uh, that they found in the Levantine coast from 1305 BC. Mm-hmm. And they believe it was carrying Mycenaean diploma, a Mycenaean diplomatic mission. And then it, it did have all the other trade goods from the rest of the Bronze Age culture. So there was copper and tin and, you know. The Ulubur one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like they think, you know, felt that there's were Greeks, you know, Mycenaeans that were on a diplomatic mission. So if they were on a diplomatic mission, then they must have been, you know, mm. in the and in the Near East, they're aware of these people anyway, even if they weren't from a whole United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, that's a, one of the fascinating archaeological discoveries because it goes to show like the extent of the Eastern Central Mediterranean trade network at that time because there were. Um, there were just goods found from all over the place, right. uh, Egyptian goods, Near Eastern goods, t- uh, tin, copper from uh, copper from Cyprus, tin as far um, tin as far away from I think Spain at that point. Mycenaeans had a the Minoans had a pretty uh, decent trade network too, and the Mycenaeans kind of just whenever they took over, they kind of uh, commandeered it, <laughs> so to speak, right. and um, you know, and, and that's part of the whole wrap up into the Bronze Age collapse is like you have this. Um, you have this network that's uh, this trade commercial network that kind of is so dependent upon each other that when things start to go bad and some of the societies quote unquote collapse, it brings down the entire net. It brings down everybody. Right. Because everybody's so dependent upon the 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 economies of everyone else. Everybody. Right. We lost the writing. We lost everything. And then um, some, I mean, some of the civilizations were able to, weather it uh the ones that have more like the egyptians i mean they went to an intermediate period but and the assyrians came out and the phoenicians came out of it relatively strong and the phoenicians basically just tapped into that mycenaean trade network mm-hmm. and took over it and you know and then made it their own and then the and then the greeks got back and then the greeks got uh when writing came back and the greeks kind of after a, de- uh, a century or so kind of came back quote-unquote dark ages into the archaic yeah. period or iron age period whatever Defini- uh, definition you want to use it you know it kind of tapped into that same network and expanded upon it mm-hmm, yes so yeah we i mean they were still connected with them there i mean i guess if you went you know the assyrians didn't in the iron age didn't seem like they knew a ton about the greeks but i, I don't know if they were they were really that interested could be the issue the assyrians yeah 
Well, they, I they mean, called them Yaman, like they call them Ionians. So the mm-hmm. Assyrian word, and even today, the um, these words in the East for Greeks is is the word for Ionian. Hmm. They called them Yawan or Yamans. And so, yeah, today, even in Arabic, Turkish, and Persian, the word for Greek is Unani, Unani, which is mm-hmm. which is like Ionian. Yeah. Well, the Greeks were they were pretty far off from where the Assyrian core was. Like the Assyrians had the Phoenicians under their under their control. Those were right. like they had access to the Phoenician ports. So the Phoenicians were like the middlemen to like the Greek trade network. And so they were still plugged into the, they traded with the Greeks, you know, um, they had Almina in Syria, which was uh, eventually a, a Syrian territory. The Syrians would trade as far out as Spain um, and th- they would trade. And the Greeks were involved Carthage later, the Phoenicians, um, mm-hmm. the Greek Sicilians and Marseille, the Etruscans, they were tapped into that trade network. It's just, they had there was really no need to i don't want to say there was no need but like they were uh, never a threat of like the assyrians going to cross into U- european land and conquer the greeks right um they had what they ne- they needed in the phoenicians access to that trade network right and that's as good you brought up almina that was uh, that seems to be where their the main greek foothold in the near east was for a long time right yeah i think that was that was um created in about the late eighth not the eighth i'm sorry like the late ninth century like yeah eight, like eight, 25 is the, the that's what uh, it is the, um, something around there that they it's all there's no really a lot of we don't we don't even know what they called it right we just know that that's what it's called now mm-hmm. and there also was some contact between the phoenicians and the greeks on cyprus uh as well via the eubians the eubians came out of the quote-unquote dark ages relatively faster and they uh they were one of the big uh, colonizers and traders. Um, yes, Eubians, uh, Eretrians, and Hawkus being the uh, being the two big city states on the island of Euboea, and then you also have the Corinthians, and they also big colonizers as well in the west. Hawkus, you know, that's why the Halkidiki they went north and colonized Halkidiki, named after the city state of Hawkus. And you, I mean, you have other city states that uh, that also had a. Uh, colonies as well Miletus did a lot of colonizing in the black sea the athenians yeah. not so much the spartans not so much they had a, a few off and ones but it seemed to be the eubians corinth and Miletus were the big ones with the, with a few others uh spread around here or there right and those would be the primary traders in the archaic period and i mean we just um it's just funny how a lot of the, the big empires still just got didn't had them kind of confused you know they didn't realized that this, there was this whole this whole thing called Greece, you know? Because like we say, the Greeks weren't united, but they still had the Olympics every year, every four years, I should say. So they were a culture, but it just seems that, um, like the Assyrians especially, because they're the ones who kept the records. They, there's no rec, there's not one reference to the Greeks in the, in the whole letter archive that they found in Nineveh. Mostly, I mean, from my understanding, there was... Um... Most of the interaction came between uh, between Greek and Assyria would have came through Egyptian Lydian. There was a buffer there. There wasn't. It wasn't until a little bit later in the Archaic period uh, that the Assyrians really uh, came. I mean, you had when when Egypt when they penetrated Egypt and helped uh, Greek mercenaries helped overthrow the Assyrian yoke with Egypt and established. Um, Oh, shoot, what's the pharaoh's name? Uh, oh, that was Neko. Yeah, Neko. Semiticus was the one yeah, who Semiticus brought him and, in. Yeah, and uh, or Samtek, however you want to call him. 
Oh yeah, um, you right. I can pronounce him Seminicus. Well, he is a the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Until I think that's in like the late five or early five hundreds. Like, we're right in that period. So okay, it was the six fifties when they started. Then they started the Greeks started moving in when Guy just brought in the so he mm-hmm. brought in the Carians and then with Greeks and into uh, you know Egypt to help mm-hmm. Guy to help um, Semiticus like store up his. There was twelve other kinglets strong mm-hmm. men in Egypt that he had to actually beat. I mean, that's when most of the was it the the seventh century and, and the sixth century is where you get a huge flowering of cultural interaction between Greece and the East. You get yeah. places at like Miletus that seems to be um, kind of at this center point between the two, where you you get philosophy, you get ideas coming from East and West. You get the you get with Thales and Ax- Anaximenes and Anaximander. Um, you get places like. Nocritus and Phonus and Egypt have become these tra- uh, trading areas after Egypt reestablishes native rule again. You get Greek uh, mercenaries serving in the armies of uh, Nebuchadnezzar when the Neo Babylonian come about. Uh, we have, yeah. uh, we even have mention of that when like Alcius uh, from Lesbos mentions his brother was off serving uh, at Carchemish, I think. I might have the wrong battle, but one of those I battles under Nebuchadnezzar. That. Have, yes, that's a yeah. pretty interesting story, actually. So you 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 get Greek, you get you get interaction all throughout the seventh and sixth centuries. The evidence is piecemeal at best, earlier than that, and it's I mean it's still piecemeal when you get later, but it's still obviously there. <laughs> like yeah. uh, it's 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 more. There's more instances on the historical record, at least Neo Babylonian, Egyptian. Lydian contact than say Assyrian. That's a good story, actually. Too, as I just found a quote here where it's uh, so he says uh, he says to his about his brother from the ends of the earth you are come with your sword hilt of ivory bound with gold you accomplished a great feat and delivered the Babylonians from distress for you slew a warrior of five royal cubits less a span mm-hmm. so that means he was like two point five meters so he's like eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I think it was referring to Carchemish. I also could have that wrong. Yeah, I think that's the battle. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's I don't the, know, you haven't covered the Neo Babylonians yet, I don't think. Yeah, no, no, I found that for this, but then, so then I'm sure you have your research. I'm sure you okay. have your research well in advance though, so you might have come across it while doing research. I'm sure, yeah. And that's all you're gonna hear from Bernie and Ryan this time, but Ryan will be back next week. So I wanted to tell you guys, you heard it before, I have three favorite podcasts that regards history. It's anything Mike Duncan does, uh, mostly Rome, history of Rome, and then Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, from which the name of this podcast comes. And then Ryan Stitt's The History of Ancient Greece. I just noticed that the numbering of our podcast is almost the same the latest released episode when I record this of the history of ancient Greece is episode 105, Carthage Enters the War. And this is episode 106 of Fano History. So uh, we have been going almost as long. But Ryan will be back in two weeks for part two of this. But while you're waiting for another episode of Fano History, go check out the History of Ancient Greece podcast. Great stuff.
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.